Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Ruth, the first chapter, verses 1 through 18. Let us hear now together the words of the Lord. In the days when the judges ruled and there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Emelech, the husband of Moab, he died, and she was left with her two sons. These two, these took Moab wives, one in the name of Orpah and the other in the name of Ruth. And when they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died, so that the, women, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard that the, in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and had given them food. So she set out, so she set out from the place where she had been living, and she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, "Go back each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me." The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they might become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, Would you wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. And then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And so she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do this and so to me and evermore as well. And if death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw this, she saw that she was determined to go with her. She said nothing to her anymore. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, we gather this morning in this great tabernacle to hear your word read and proclaimed, but to hear the songs of children as they sing simple stories of faith and love. And so let all of this be soaked into the very marrow of our souls. 
so that we hear your word read and proclaimed. We hear your word in scripture, in the preached word. We hear your word in hymn, in song, in anthem. We hear your word in prayer and affirmation. But in soaking that word so deep within our souls, may our lives be transformed that we would leave this time together not merely as hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So two-year-old Benjamin Olson has the most unlikely of first best friends. It's his next-door neighbor, 100-year-old Mary O'Neill. You see, when the pandemic struck and they were forced to shelter in place to quarantine at home, next door neighbors that they were, they realized that they didn't have family nearby. Mary's grandchildren and great-grandchildren lived far away. Benjamin's extended family and grandparents also far away in another direction. As the pandemic continued and as the weather warmed, they began to emerged from their homes from hibernation and into the backyard and what started as just a simple wave over the fence to the next door neighbor began to become conversation and ultimately a game called stickball erupted or cane ball erupted in which the son Benjamin he would take his ball and he would roll it to the fence and Mary would lean over the fence with her cane and she would bump it back to him and they would all giggle, and this would go on for hours on end, and then the bubble wands came out, and she would clap as he made beautiful bubbles all across the yard. And as the conditions improved, this friendship reached its penultimate moment when Benjamin opened the gate and was welcomed into her yard. They sat on the back stoop and shared lemonade and laughter and stories as he prattled on about stories and things that he saw and pointed out everything in the yard. This friendship that emerged divided by a pandemic, divided by the border of a chain link fence, but bridged over, if you will, 98 years of life because they were simply friends. They began to realize that they loved each other just as human beings. You see, their love knew no boundaries. That chain link fence wasn't gonna contain them or their friendship. And see, isn't this idea of love knowing no boundaries, isn't that the essence of the biblical story? I mean, think about what God has shared with us. God has given us a love that knows no boundaries. So the story that I just read from Ruth, we begin to see this lived out in the sort of improbable nature of this relationship between mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. We have Naomi and Imelech, they have sons and they immigrate from Judah to Moab because there is a famine in their land and they hear that there is plenty on the other side of the border. And while they are there, their sons marry and Imelech dies and then ultimately the sons die and so you have Naomi, the mother-in-law, and her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. And in the culture of their day, there was no social security. There was no widow's pension. The widow's pension was your family. And so what would have happened in normal courses is that Naomi would have been cared for by her sons. 
And if one of them had died, the other son would have taken them all in, daughter-in-law, sister-in-law, the whole nine yards. But they find themselves, she finds herself a stranger in a strange land with no security. So she decides to go back to her homeland because she hears that now that there is plenty there and she's just going to go try to see if she can make a go of it there. She encourages her daughters-in-law to go back to their homes hoping that they would have better prospects for survival because they were young and still had a future ahead and neither one of them would abandon her. She pleaded with them, pleaded with them. And finally Orpah relents and she goes back to home but Ruth insists and persists and she says those words, where you go, I will go. You, where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. See, Ruth was devoted to her mother-in-law. She wasn't a daughter-in-law. She was a daughter in love. See, her love knew no boundaries. It knew no boundary of race, whether she was a Moabite or an Ephrathite, just, because even they were different from different tribes, that didn't matter to Ruth. But when they were two different countries, from Moab or Judah, that didn't matter to Ruth, because in those status, it didn't matter whether one was an older woman or a younger woman. They were still both widows, still both needing each other. It didn't matter that one could have had a future where the other did not. And see, that's the kind of God, that's the kind of love that God wants us to have a love that knows no boundaries, that cuts through all the clutter of the world and all the things that want to divide us. God wants us to have a love for all of humanity, regardless of race, regardless of border, regardless of status. To just see each other at the base element of who we are and who we were created to be. Family as our children's choir sang, brothers and sisters, all children of God. A love that knows no boundaries. I think about much of the divisiveness that we have in the world, it becomes this unhealthy expansion of tribalism. I mean, let's face it, that we're all looking to belong. That's really been sort of the base element for all of humanity. We all want to belong somewhere. You just have to look at middle schoolers. They want to find their crowd. We as adults are the same way. I mean, it's natural for us to gather together in like-minded groups. I mean, that's the whole idea behind it. It's where that cliche, birds of a feather flock together. It's where it comes from. But it's antithetical to the gospel when we gather together in flocks or gaggles or murders or tribes or whatever, and we exclude others. It's antithetical to the gospel when we begin to pick on other groups that are different than we are or we distrust them or we make fun of them or we even maybe even foment hate towards them. But what's worse yet? What is worse yet when we sit in our tribe and our crowd and we are not worried about the plight of other tribes, other crowds? We're not care we don't worry as much about their well-being or we want to see them at the same level of life as we have. See, the kingdom of God is one that envisions in which all of us are lifted up, all of us are held in the same esteem by the one that loves us most. 
Now, to be really clear, it's not that we're to be colorblind. We hear that a lot. We should be colorblind. No, we should see each other as equal, but we should celebrate our differences because our differences make up the strings of the fabric of God's creation, the fabric of humanity. Whether it's different pigments or different skin tones or the beauty of different languages and accents. I mean, it's just amazing to hear all the different languages of the world. Even when we don't understand them, there's a simple creative beauty to them. Or think about the depth and the variety of human thought. When we gather together and we can honestly put our ideas on the table and hear each other out, we find better solutions than we could on our own. That's the wisdom of groupthink. That's the wisdom of collaboration. So the differences that exist in the human, in the human race, they're good because they make us better together. Those differences should not be a factor in how we choose to love each other or who we choose to love. In fact, when we see each other, we should really look in each other's eyes, look deeply in each other's eyes and realize that we are not going to ever look in the eyes of someone that God doesn't love. That everyone that we meet, God loves just as God loves us. And so therefore, our love for the world should know no boundary, no division whatsoever. I'm a person that loves maps. I've always loved maps. When we would get the National Geographic, when it would come into the house, I, was a first, you know, I would rip through it quickly to find the maps and spread it out to see what was going on, to see what the map was of, to figure out where all the borders were. Why were they here? Why were they there? What made up these? But you know, the great thing about maps is they show the borders. But what we begin to realize is that the borders were as arbitrary as anything else. There are lines on a map to demarc where countries begin and countries end, where your property begins and someone else's begin, where voting districts are or different sections of town. All they are is helping regionalize what is happening. But we've got to remember that borders are human constraints to decide to divide up the land. And they themselves are not problematic until we use a border as a place where our love and our care stops. Where a border prevents us from loving each other. For example, think about what happened when we had in the, the Iron Curtain during the Cold War. There was an immovable barrier where people could not go back and forth across easily. And there were definitely disparities on either side of it. But think about Europe now that the EU has come in place. You can travel across Europe from the former countries where you'd have to stop at checkpoints and show your passport. And now you just breeze through it, just like you would if you were driving to South Carolina or Georgia and barely acknowledge it. Maybe the road changes or the speed limit goes up or down. But see, the love that God wants us to have is a love that doesn't stop at the border. It's a love that begins to see a border as a place where the ministry begins, where mission begins, that our love should cross the border to alleviate the suffering of people on the other side of it. Last week in my sermon, I talked about Haiti and about what's happening in that country between political upheaval and natural disasters and general poverty, how this country is just suffering. 
And if we didn't see that in the images on the nightly news, we could see it with Haitians who made that journey from their country to Central America to then travel up to the border between Mexico and the U.S. just looking for an opportunity. So desperate that they were, that they were willing to endure this arduous journey for the hope of the possibility that they could receive just a little bit more prosperity here, even under the radar than they would ever have at home. Now, I don't know how we're ever going to solve the immigration crisis in our country, so let me be really clear about that. But that is one of those things that is on that card that I write the prayers for for the week. Remember last week I talked about writing down the name of someone that you want to pray for or something you want to pray about and sort of praying how you can be involved. This is one of those things that's on my card. It has been since we've watched all this devastation in Haiti. How do we help those folks? How do we help the people of the world? How do we alleviate their suffering? But we don't have to look across international borders to find that it's right here in our city, sometimes even within our community, just on the other side of the tracks, if you will, or just down the street. Just a few months ago, Dr. Tom Kuntz met with Meg and I to talk about what the Boston Thurman Project's doing, how it takes a neighborhood in our city that was in serious crisis and helping rehabilitate it by focusing on education and housing and training. Because there were people that were willing to cross a border or imaginary line between neighborhoods in our city to say, we are here to help. How can we partner with you so that everyone in our city succeeds? See, God is calling you and me to have a love that is willing to open up the gate and to walk outside of our yard, to cross the imaginary borders, whether it's between our yards or our neighborhoods or our city or our state or even internationally, to look for ways to make a difference, to share a love that has no boundaries so that the suffering of the world can be relieved. So as we think about that love, a love that knows no boundaries in terms of race or international border or any border whatsoever, thinks about one that also goes beyond status. So Felipe Pozo de Borgo is a French a nobleman, a French magnate in the champagne industry and also a hoteler. And so he's got these, he's got everything you could ever want, except for here's a catch. He injured himself in a hang gliding accident. He is a quadriplegic. So he is bound to a wheelchair, people taking care of him day in and day out, needing aids to care for him, to bathe him, to exercise him, to feed him. And so the story is being told about his attendant, a Moroccan immigrant by the name of Abdel Salou. See, the story begins, it was, it was filmed in this book, uh, this, it was a book, and then it was in a movie called The Untouchables. But the story that's told is Abdel interviews for this job as an aide, not because he wants to be it, but because he is gathering welfare receipts and he just needs to show that he's applying for jobs. So he thinks he's gaming the system by applying for the jobs that no one will take and that he and no one will take him because he's not suited. So this Moroccan immigrant goes with no medical training, goes and applies for a job as an attendant to a French nobleman, expecting he will be ushered in. They'll look at his resume. They'll say, no way, mark his ticket as rejected, and he can continue gathering his benefits. 
But see, Felipe is intrigued. Philippe is intrigued by this. He's intrigued and so he won't just let him go. Matter of fact, he challenges him. He offers him the job. He says, I won't let you just make nothing of your life. I want you to take care of me. So Abdel moves into Philippe's house. He begins to care for him and feed him, to bathe him. They begin this, this unlikely friendship, this unlikely care for one another because along the way, Philippe under- learns that Abdel has a criminal record. So not only being an immigrant, not only knowing that he lives in poverty, he's now a criminal. So he has no hope, if you will, of ever getting ahead. And yet, here he is in Philippe's house. And over the course of their relationship, Philippe begins to, inter- to introduce him to art and to music like the opera, which he finds, Abdel finds, he loves. He begins to paint and sell some of his paintings. But it's not a one-way exchange. It's a two-way exchange because Abdel helps Philippe understand the joy of life again. To flourish, the joy of living, how to take risks, how to to do things that are outside of his comfort zone, things that a nobleman in a wheelchair would never consider doing. The story, the movie ends with Abdel taking Philippe into the French countryside, high up on a mountain, and with the help of a tandem hang glider for each of them. They go soaring off the mountainside. Philippe, ever since his accident, missed the joy of soaring, and he's been telling Abdel this. Abdel figures this out and arranges this, and so the movie ends with him soaring and then sitting, overlooking the mountain vista after their flight, just laughing and enjoying life. See, they had a love that went beyond any boundary, a love that went beyond any status. The two most unlikely characters lifted each other up and shared love with each other in a way that neither of them thought would happen. This reminds me of something that Desmond Tutu wrote. He said, my humanity is bound up in yours for we can only be human together. My humanity is bound up in yours. We can only be human together. This is that kind of love, the love that crosses all the boundaries of life. See, we're called by God to love each other without seeing status, without seeing race, without seeing borders. A love that knows no boundaries. So Meg referenced this at the very beginning when she greeted you. She said, Happy Reformation. You see, this is a Sunday that we remember the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther went to the church in his town and he nailed his 95 theses of things he wanted to change about the Catholic Church. And so he protested what they were doing. He wanted the church to be more human, where faith was more personal and we could own it and live it. And so we remember that on a day like today, the Reformation of the church where we had the church of old, the Catholic church of old, and now we have the Protestant church and all of its many expressions. But think about the Reformation that you and I can make in the world if we start right here with a Reformation of our hearts. Think about a new Reformation we have that we have if we practice a love which knows no boundaries. A love that is engineered to cross all those boundaries, all those divisions of our world, of tribe, of border, 
of status. Think about what would happen if we had the reformation of our heart when we began to think about who is it that needs to know the love of God today? Who is it that we need to look in the eyes of today and say, you are loved by God who loves me and all the world. So I invite you again this week, whether it's on an index card, a piece of paper, something, to write the name of someone, of some way in which your love can be expressed to the world beyond any boundary that you know. And write that on that card. And all week long, I pray that you will pray that along with this very simple prayer. God, you are my God. And I will love your people in a way that knows no boundaries. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.